Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersham, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Adrian Phillips, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, go. Sure wish you would. Always appreciate hearing folks all around town, all around the world, wherever you may be. That's it. Wherever you may be. Just give us a call and try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Last week, I had gotten an email from a gentleman who was starting to restore or beginning to restore 57 chevrolet and he asked if we could talk a little bit about restoring cars classic cars or maybe just a little bit older car okay who knows (laughs) and true to our word that's we said we would do it this week last week we ran out of time uh, yeah i didn't didn't, didn't think we had enough time to give that topic a thorough address (laughs) there you go you know when you start talking about restoring a car and Again, we might think of an antique car, and there's the car that's cool kind of keeps changing. It does. It's as right. time goes on. It does. Because traditionally, people like a car that meant something to them at some point had in their some, life. Had some significance yeah. in their life. I remember when I was a child, the cool car was like a 32 Ford. Sure. 32 Ford three-window coupe was about as cool as it could get. That was mm-hmm. what everybody really wanted. And then when I got into my age of... I guess when I was able to start doing some of this stuff, because I always looked up to the guy who had the hot rod. Right. You know, mine was a 55 to 57 Chevrolet. That was kind of my era because those cars, when I was growing up, were the cool cars. And then later on, you saw a rash of the Mustangs and the Chevelles. Camaros. Camaros. That kind of stuff. And, you know, as we go further forward, it kind of keeps changing. Most people today, I guess there are a lot of people still around who remember a 32 Ford 3 with a coupe. But they're probably at a point in their life where they're just not interested in working on cars. <laughs> you know, most of them are getting pretty on in years, right. and they just don't want to have to hassle to, to do that. It's no longer a thrill to them. Right. So those cars have actually kind of gone down in value somewhat. Yeah. And uh, same thing with the 55 to 57 Chevrolets. they still holding their own, but they've kind of gone down in value, and the Camaros, Mustangs, right. whatever. So I guess the definition of a classic car may change depends on yeah depends on you know what you considered a classic that's right i noticed today i see a lot of the older but i don't consider them that old pickup trucks are getting restored now right you might see like a 95 96 model 98 model chevy pickup and that's cool to whoever's doing now but the point is it really doesn't matter the car it doesn't Uh, it's a matter of taking something that meant something to you and then customizing it or restoring it, a restoration would be bringing it back to its original form, whereas a customization would be to go in and modify it to make it more personal to you. Right. And that has a lot to do with how far you want to take this project. Yeah, where you are know, you going to end up? What do you want when you get at the end? What do you want this project to be mm-hmm. when you get done with it? Yeah, because a customized car, for the most part, is going to probably have less value inevitably than a restored car would Mm -hmm. although it may cost a lot less money to get it to where you want it you know if i'm going to take this car and make a hot rod i'm going to change the engine in it put a bigger engine in it i'm going to put electric windows in it i'm going to put air conditioning in it i'm going to put the things that i like that are going to make it comfortable for me then it's a custom sure and it was built to my taste so therefore it's not going to appeal to as wide an audience as if I took a car and I restored it like a brand new car, particularly if that the car I'm talking about had a high value to start with. Mm-hmm. You know, if I take a, say, a 67 Camaro Z28, which is a relatively limited production car, right. it's always right. a 
fairly valuable car, and I restore it to showroom condition, it's going to have a pretty high value on the market because a lot of people will be willing to buy that car. Mm-hmm. Now, I could take the same car, put a big engine in it, modify it, cut the fender wells out, put headers through there and all that kind of stuff. It may mean a lot to me, but it's going to be worth less to the general market because it's been modified. Right. There's only so many people that are going to look at this car and say, hey, I like that. Yeah, I like you know, what you did. I like what you did. And and that's true of anything, be it a house or a car or sure. whatever. So you first off, you have a restoration, and then you have the classic. And there's million little gradients in between there, depending on where you want to go with it. Mm-hmm. I find most people today, you really don't see that many out-and-out restorations as you do the customs. Most of your restorations today had a high value, like you were speaking Very high of value before. car to start with. It, it's already a high value car. So if you took this car and you modified it, you're taking the value out of it. Whereas if you restored it back to what it was mm-hmm. originally, it's worth a whole lot more because it's, say, a limited production number. Right. Or it's got all matching numbers, and we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. That makes this particular vehicle that much more valuable to a wider yeah. array of people. And you see these cars a lot, like on the auctions on TV. Sure. You'll see the cars come in, and they look like they just rolled off showroom floor. In fact, in most cases, they look better. Better, they yeah. Ne- they ne- never, never looked did. that way when no. it came from no, they didn't. GM, Ford, Chrysler, whomever. You know, they never ever looked like they do now, but... Yeah, those cars are very high dollar. They are. And I don't think that is the audience that we're speaking to with this podcast for the most part. Moreover, it's somebody who just wants something that's a little different from what everybody else is driving. Mm -hmm. He or she or they want a vehicle that they can kind of make their own. Sure. Something, sort of a statement piece. I know that's what all of the cars that I ever owned were. Uh, well, I mean that's that's hot rodding in general. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we took this this vehicle and we did this to it. Right. This is what I did to this vehicle, and it's like a statement piece. Yeah. I mean, in our day, it was mostly let's make it go faster. Right. <laughs> that that was, how fast would it go? Yeah. How fast can you make it go? And you'd modify it to that point. Of course, nowadays you can buy a car that's pretty darn fast. Oh yeah. With all electronics and all that kind of stuff. So the goal may have changed somewhat. You may want to build a car that is more comfortable mm-hmm. than it originally was, or one that rivals anything you can find today. In other words, I want these features that I like, right. blah, 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 but I don't want all these other features that are being crammed on the cars and sure. forced on me. Sure. Well, back in the day we were talking, you could order a car with any feature you wanted on Right. You could go to the book. You could say, hey, I want this. I want this. I don't want this. I want this. Right. Well, today you go to the dealer and you say, look, I want this. Well, they say, well, it comes with all this other yeah, stuff. It's, you have to, it's a package now. deal now. Mm-hmm. It's not an individual a la carte type thing anymore. Right. You can't just so you end up with exactly what you want. Right. You end up with features you don't want to get features you do want. Right. And if you're building a car, then you can put the features in it you want. Right. Now, on top of that, we have a lot of government mandates now. We do. That, I guess, some people resent that. They're just a certain group of people who just resent being told what to do, me being one of them. I, I totally agree. <laughs> you know, even though it may be in my best interest in some cases, I just resent the fact that I'm being told, told to that do I've it. got to do this. One example of that, to me personally, would be like the TPMS systems on cars. Uh-huh. Now, i got to say, it's a handy feature to have in some cases. But I just resent the fact that you mandate it on there. You offer it. If I want it, I'll buy it. Exactly. And put it on there. If you don't offer it, I may have it retrofitted on there. But I don't like being told you will have this on here. Mm-hmm. And nobody can take it off. And you're getting a lot more of that these days yeah, with well, the newer cars. the stop-start feature where a car dies every time you pull up to a stop sign and That's, yeah, starts again. Right. 
and it aggravates a lot, a lot of people, but it's just in there and you can't take it out. A lot of the collision avoidance stuff, mm-hmm. which may or may not be in your own best interest, but it's in there. All right. And some of it's extremely aggravating to drive with. Well, it, it is. So one reason you may want to restore a car is to get something pre, and I'm just, I'm going to say big brother, just yeah, as a word. Works. That works. <laughs> yeah. And build it up to a standard where you can drive it uh-huh. as, as a daily driver or weekend or driver it. or in a enjoyable car. All sorts of other. You may, like I said, you may want something that's a little faster mm-hmm. than the original model was. You may want something maybe that handles better. You can go in and do some sure. suspension modification stuff, something that rides better. For the most part, it's going to be about aesthetics, something that looks the way that you wanted it to look. Exactly. I know we've got a very good customer, Mr. Bob McCarron. Right. He's got a 51 Ford. 51 Ford was always sort of a classic design for the people who liked it. But he's got his highly, highly, highly modified. It's been lowered. The top's been chopped. Sure. He's got the custom interior. Cus- he's got custom, custom everything. paint. Yeah. And he enjoys driving that car. He enjoys showing the car. He even takes it up to the Jim Jim Dean run and shows it and all that. It's just a real good hobby for him. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things going in. But once you decide this is something that I want to do, now you need to make some choices. Well, do you already have this project? Is Mm -hmm. it sitting at the house or is it sitting somewhere that you can put your hands on it? Or are you going to go out and buy something that's already been restored right or are you going to start searching to restore to restore searching for a project right and there's certain things you have to look for there where you're going to actually save a whole lot of money down the road sure and we're going to talk about that we're going to take our first quick little break be right back with more in the automotive hour if you ever plan to motor west Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, Think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive question you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. Today we're talking a little bit about having a project car uh-huh. or a restoration or building a hot rod or whatever it is right. you want to do. Of course, you're never limited to that topic. You can call with any questions you may have. Just give us a call. That's what we're here for, live and ready to go. <laughs> and you brought up a good point, and that's picking your project. Right. When you pick a project, you've got to understand, where am I going to be? I want to spend, let's say we're going to spend $20,000. Right. Well, do we go out and we buy a already restored vehicle, some you can get for $20,000? Right. Or do we want to build this vehicle ourselves? Yeah, partially restored in some cases. Somebody right. got somebody into it, give got up. tired of it, gave up on it. Right. 
And I think probably in some cases that may be the least expensive way to go. It really depends. What you need to do when you're, when you're considering a project, whether it be a, a restored vehicle, a partially restored vehicle, or one that has been sitting in a field somewhere, right? you need to have a professional evaluate it for you before the purchase. Before you start spending money. Right, before you start spending money. Because you can buy a car that looks great on the outside, and if it's not... if if the fenders are rotted out from the inside and the bondo fill in the holes, the motor smoke frame is rusted, frame's out. rusted out, the motor smokes, the transmission doesn't shift right. Or it was just built wrong. Exactly. Somebody cut a lot of corners and made it look great. And we've seen those cars. Sure, we have. People paid big bucks big for Big money them. for them. They look great cosmetically, but then you get into it and it's got all kinds of expensive problems. Let's go to our phone lines with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Yes, sir. I have a quick question about some blinkers. Okay. I got hot coming to the flasher on my four-way. Mm-hmm. You know, and low voltage coming out, and my flashers don't work. My four away when I turn them on. Okay, how about your turn signals? Do they work? Yes, sir. The most common thing, Richard, is going to be the flasher unit itself. Those go bad. That is going to be the most common thing we see. But what you would almost have to do? Where did you say you had power last? I got power going into the flasher. It got I done tried two brand new flashers. Mm-hmm. Tried them in my blinkers and my four away. They mm-hmm. will not work in the four way. I got low voltage coming out of the flash. Coming high out. High voltage going in. Hmm. You sure you're getting you know, the right flasher unit? Yes, sir. I mean, if you got I, high voltage I, going in and low voltage coming out, it's got to be something, something there. Yeah. Either the socket itself maybe is bad, burned, or contacts are loose. But, I mean, if you got 12 and a half volts going in, what kind of car is it, Richard? It's a 1999 Airstream Freightliner chassis motorhome. See, I have no information on that. I have, I don't know the way it works. Is it an electronic flasher or is it just a mechanical flasher? You just got the old, you pull the switch out on the side of the steering wheel, and I'm just going to keep fighting it. I've been fooling with cars since 57, right. 70 some odd years old. Yeah. And them TV shows you see where they yeah. got an old car out in the field. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, they got it yeah, out of $500, they got it fixed. <laughs> Half an hour. I can dream on. I know, you betcha. Right? You betcha. I'm going to send you some pictures on your website, some of the cars I've had over the Yeah, getting back to your flashers, I would make sure you don't have a connection or something. I mean, if you got 12 volts going in, I can't see anything other than something in that flasher assembly. You sure you got the right flasher? It's not like an emergency flasher and a separate flasher for turn signals. Maybe you're changing the wrong one. I bought the big heavy-duty one. The yeah. big plastic one. But generally, there's two of them. There's generally two flashers. Are you sure you're not on the wrong flasher, huh? No, sir. I'm on the right flasher. Hmm. Now, I have seen the the blinker switch. You said it's what kind of chassis? It's got a, it seems like it's got voltage going to the flasher all the time. Right. Yeah. Is it? Does it have a GM steering column in it? Yes, sir. Okay. I have seen those flasher, the turn signal unit go out because there's a separate set of contacts in that unit than they are from the blinkers. They work through the same wiring, except the contacts are different. I have seen those go bad before. So that might be something to check. It's a Freightliner chassis, but it's got a GM. Yeah, it's got a GM steering column in it. I'm going to pull that off. I'm going to pull that off. Thanks for your help. Okay, man. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, man. Bye. All right, we're going right back to our phone line. Good morning, Michael. Oh, those 05 F-150. Uh-huh. And the uh, thing is, I put the key in it, and if it works off the switch, it don't work. Nothing happens when you stick the key in, uh, no dash lights fire up, no, no radio, nothing. Okay, and you got a good battery in it? You, your battery's hot? 
Yes, sir. The batteries hot. The headlights burn. Uh, the interior lights burn. Uh, so it's a accessory circuit. Works, but everything, if it works off the switch. Yeah, everything on the accessory circuit that goes through the switch. So I would start checking first off the cables. You're going to have your big cable that goes down to your starter. Then somewhere on that cable is going to be a smaller wire that goes to your accessory circuit. You want to make sure that wire is not broken or corroded or miles eight and a half or something like that because two separate, you get the big old heavy wire. Everything like your headlights and all that work with the key off goes through that circuit. Then there's going to be a tap that comes off of it and it's going to go into the fuse box and all. It's going to be something in that circuit that goes through the keyed switch. So you just have to get on it, find that wire that comes off that feeds your accessory circuit. Go to the end of it and see if you got voltage there. Yes, no. Now, if you got no voltage there, then you got to go up, and it's going to be something in the cable itself. If you got voltage, you got to keep tracing it all the way to the switch. But that, that wire, that, that accessory circuit, they call it, is going to be broken somewhere. And it would be a whole lot better if you had a wiring diagram for the truck, which you know, you're know going to have to pay for that. Nobody gives anything like that away free anymore. But you can go online and probably download the wiring diagram. Then you can see where the circuit splits off from your all-the-time power, which is your headlights, your horn, all that kind of stuff, and then the one that goes just to the, the accessory circuit. Now, you see, your starter will not work if the accessory circuit is broken because it's got power to the starter, but it doesn't have the command. The command comes out of the accessory side. Right, right. So that's what you're going to have to do. You have to trace it. And like I said, some of the common things be the wire coming off of the main power tap broken or corroded or something like that. I mean, it could possibly be the switch, but we really don't see a huge well, amount of problems with switches like that. If you have power and ground at the switch, then yeah, you could check. You have you to could, go all the way to the switch, find out right. which is the hot wire, see if you got power there. If you got power there, you got nothing coming out. Well, then it's the switch. Right. But you know, that's the way you got to trace it down. No possibility of be one of the keys, uh, the transponder key. The transponder Probably key is not. Probably not. Generally, when you got that, your dash lights and all are going to come on, and little locks going to start flashing, right? Because it's not seeing. The only thing transponder does is shuts it down if it thinks it's being stolen, but it's not going to keep your dash lights and all that from working. Okay. All right. Okay. Just start chasing wires from the battery on. Yeah, yeah. Start at the battery and find your power tap that feeds your accessory circuit. Go to the end of that, which will probably be in the fuse box somewhere. See if you got power there. Now, if you got power there, then you can forget about the cables and all that. If you don't, then you need to trace back up and see where the power drops out. But it can even be the wire burned off inside the fuse box. Sure. Sometimes a rodent gets in there and eats one of the wires. Sometimes battery acid gets into it. I mean, there's any number of things. I mean, we could talk for days on the stuff that could be, but you, that's the way you're going to have to go about trying to find it. Well, you do. All righty. I appreciate it. All right, All right. man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's see if we can catch Brian before the break. We got Brian on the line. Good morning, Brian. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I have a 2005 Ford Escape, and mm-hmm. I got a code P2197. I went to the local auto parts store, had it pulled, and said that the, you know, the bank two sensor, number one oxygen sensor failed. The, the code, I drove it. This code came up after about 18 miles of driving, and I filled it up. And it was only about half a tank, but I filled it up. And then the coat came on. That's the original coat when it came on. It was shortly after I filled it up. I turned it off, and, um, you know, after I had the coat pulled and red, and then 
I drove it again today for 20 miles, and there's no no code. I called a local dealer, a local repair shop, and they said that you must have cleared the code, pulled it, but there's no way I did because I did it myself. They gave me the tool, right. and I know I didn't clear it, you know, because of the okay. virus. But see, they they probably had another code in there because a 2197 is not going to set a check engine light. That's a manufacturer's code. That's something that's going to remain in there that identifies a circuit. But the original would be like a 127 or something like that. Anything over three digits is not, you know, if it's got a two or a one in front of that four, that first place digit, that's going to be a manufacturer's code, which doesn't set a light. So there was probably another code in there may have cleared itself before you checked it. You know, because some codes, if sets and then it does not reset on so many key cycles, it may clear itself. And... When you checked it, you know, it may just be that it didn't reset, but the, the, that particular code would not turn the light on. So that may be why it hadn't come back on. It may just be that it cleared itself. And you haven't changed anything in it at all? No, I have not. It says that, you know, when, like I said, when they pulled it, they mm-hmm. said it was a PCM or um, detected the bank two sensor, number one oxygen sensor, yeah. pulled the switch. Yeah. From lean to rich. I don't. I don't know if it's actually the the uh, you know the oxygen sensor. No, no. I wouldn't do anything. No. I would drive the vehicle and see if it comes back first. Okay, that that's be, what that I need to know. Any yeah. number of things that could have set that code, particularly if it's just a manufacturer's code. Those normally are not going to set a light, and they're going to come and go. And it just it's stuff that it stores in the background for a professional to go in and look at and get some idea where he's going with it but yeah i would first off just drive it and see and when it resets when the light pops on check it again immediately and you're going to be a three-digit code like po 127 that will be a hard code that's a code that will set a light and all you have to do then is go through the diagnostic procedure just because saying oxygen doesn't mean the sensor is bad it could be that it's getting too much oxygen be an exhaust leak i mean it could be that the connector's loose it could be any number of things could be low battery battery voltage in the system just not giving it the right reference voltage so you're going to have to wait to a, a good code reappears and then you can go for that might be a week it might be a month it might be a year but i would not do anything until that code comes back oh good okay that's that's what i need to know all right thank you guys so much for your show man i really appreciate it you right. a lot of info well good thanks for calling thank man. you all right, all right bye-bye, bye-bye. Alright, we gotta take our second quick little break. Danny, hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Man, you have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, brah. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Now I've noise off the river to hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. 
And if you've got a question or comment, give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we've got Danny has been patiently holding. Good morning, Danny. Hey. Yes, sir. Um, I've got a question on, uh, I bought a brand new 21 Toyota Tundra Limited. Uh, it's a 4 by 4 back at the end of last year. And I've got five, about 7,000 miles on it now. And I've, I've spoken with the dealer when, it, when I brought it in for the first oil change at five. And uh, it's supposed to be at 10, but I, I didn't want to wait that long. So, And they rotated the tires. It's complimentary. I mean, I bought it from a local dealer here. I've been toying with the idea and wanted to do like a leveling kit on the front. Mm-hmm. And But I started looking at forums, you know, on the Internet, Toya Tundra forums and that type thing. And, they were, and I saw they were talking about warranties. And, right. The TSS system and void no warranty. And, that is correct. You know, recalls, if they deny recall, you'd have to have it in the stock, you know. Yeah, that, well, I mean, you, pretty much you modifying the, the vehicle, that's, yeah. that's, that's going to be the case. I mean, I personally would advise you highly against doing that. That suspension is designed to run at one height. When you change that height, you change everything in it. I know at Agco, if you have a front end problem, we don't touch it. If it's first question when you call me and say, "Hey, can you do a front end alignment? What kind of car you got? Has it been modified?" I'm sorry, I can't help you because you pick yeah. up all kinds of little residual issues that nobody can solve, and pretty soon you get yeah. mad at the guy who's working on it because he can't fix your problem, but you brought it on yourself. Yeah, I would highly recommend against it. In fact, go on my website and there's a whole section. Just put should I modify my car, something like that, in the search bar. And or put ride height in the search bar, and there's a whole article about the things that you change when you change the ride, the design height on a vehicle, and it's a significant yeah, amount of things. That's my that was one of my questions as I was looking through this is you know what it would affect because yeah. I know it has to affect, affect almost everything. Yes, sir. it does. It changes the geometry of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean you know I know they have things that you can put on them. Like the differential drop and all that yep. stuff. Yeah, but see what you're doing. That, what you, you're doing, you're chasing your tail. You're trying to modify a whole bunch of other stuff to make up for the first modification you did. You're, you're violating the yeah. way the vehicle was designed. So you just paid a whole lot of money to get a vehicle that was a certain way, and then when you start changing it, it's not like we're talking about today. The old cars, 1957 Chevrolet, you could do that kind of stuff pretty easily. But these cars are so yeah. engineered. When you start changing stuff, you change one thing, and it everything on the everything vehicle else. changes. It's all integrated. Yeah. And I mean, unless it's just something you just got to do, then just do it and live with yeah, what yeah, happens. Consequences. Time, it's going to affect. The it is going to affect does. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. And one of my other questions is if you if you don't do that, and and I would, I mean, I, I would put you know tires until until these wear out but they're 275 55 20s mm-hmm. i mean is putting say a 285 60 20 on there i mean like something that's you know that i mean what they put on their stock i mean is something like that change yep uh, you know the, <laughs> Yep. I mean, does it mess anything oh, up? Oh, yeah. Or? Yeah, any, any change you make to it is going to have ramifications. And, you know, my first question is, why do that? What are you going to gain? Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you put all-terrain tires on mm-hmm. it, if you can get, a, like, a little taller tire, I mean. Yeah, so well. It, well, you, you know, put a taller like tire on it, you're, you're changing it. everything. You're yeah. changing the way the speedometer works. You're changing the way the gearing ABS works. ABS works. ABS works. control. Right. All that. Everything's going to change. That truck is designed for a certain height tire, yeah. certain width. 
and that's the yeah. way the engineer designed it. Yeah. No matter what and, uh, change well, you make, you can mod- modify everything on it. So kind of on your own I'm, after that. I understand. Like I've seen on these forums, like they bring them in if they do that. You know, mm-hmm. they put bigger tires or something. Mm-hmm. They they can adjust a lot. They can reprogram. Yeah, but again, how far do you want to go? I mean, you want to spend $10,000 trying to make something work that wasn't designed to work that way? I mean, you bought yeah, the no, vehicle because I mean, you liked it. I mean, apparently. Uh, you like the way it looked. Yeah. You like the way it rode. I'd leave it alone. I mean, that would be my advice yeah. to you as a professional mechanic. You dare, but you could you could do 275 all-terrain tires. Just, I mean, they didn't have to. They wouldn't have to be highway tires. I don't you can guess. go from a highway to an all-terrain. The only you thing could. is, when you do that, they're going to start wearing. And they're going to leave. The ride's going to ride. The ride's going to be different because, again, you know, all-terrain is designed to run in mud and stuff like that, whereas a highway tire is designed to run on concrete. So, are yeah. you in the mud ninety-nine percent of the time and on concrete one percent of the time, or is vice versa? Or vice versa? Yeah. See, that's yeah. that's the problem because we start putting a block tread on there. It's designed to run on the mud. When you put it on the road, it's going to wear, you know, start chopping and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I see these trucks all the time, and 90% of them don't ever leave the road. Yeah. They got big mud grip yeah, tires yeah, on them. They never leave the road. And they're, they're chopping and right. the tires up and truck all rides. I wonder why. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's kind of what I've read on these forums, you know. It's like, well, I don't. They call them pavement princesses. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like they put them on, uh, you know, but they got you know, you, their, their you, set you, up. Your best bet, Danny, is just to buy a truck exactly the way you want it. If you want all that kind of stuff, buy one that's got all that stuff already engineered on it, and then you'll be all right. But, yeah, you start modifying, man, on a oh, computerized vehicle. vehicle where everything yeah. is integrated, you're just going to yeah. have nothing but problems from now on. Yeah, that's what's my biggest question is, yep. I, you know, I hated to, and I, I bought the extended warranty probably against my better judgment, yep. but, you know, I, and so, I mean, I don't want to avoid all of that. Yep, paid a whole lot of money to get things. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all's input. Okay, all man. Right. Thanks, Danny. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. We were talking about cars, and we got down to where – what car do you do you restore? Right. And, and generally, that's going to be something that you like. Sure, something you kind of grew something up with. Something to you, right? Some little sentimental value, maybe. Now, I find a lot of people just have a car available. Maybe an old car they had. Great, sitting. great granddad right. left a car, and they really don't care for it very much, but they got it. Right. And that's probably going to get very, very tiring for you. If it's not a car that means something to you personally, just because it's available to you does not make it a candidate for or, restoration right. or or whatever. What has to happen, it's sort of like our first caller, Richard, was saying. You see these TV shows, and they show you this old car was born fine. They take it, and yeah, a and week it, later, it's up 40, and running. 45 minutes on TV show, is up and running. Yeah, and, and it, it just pristine. doesn't work out that way. It, it costs a whole, whole lot of money. It takes a whole, whole lot of time. One other thing, Richard, if you're still listening, you said you had 12 and a half volts at the flasher. What you're going to need to do, too, though, is to check the 12 and a half volts at the flasher while the flashers are turned on and working it's called a voltage drop, voltage test. drop test because if you got a corroded up switch inside your steering column it may conduct 12 and a half volts without a load on it but when you load it that may drop down that may be why you're getting what you get right you know so, a, a stranded wire a stranded copper wire inside a vehicle has eight or ten strands or whatever depending on what size the wire is mm-hmm. one strand will carry 12 and a half volts right but it won't conduct the amperage you need to operate the system. Exactly. So that's one other thing you might just want to check if you're still listening. But, again, going back to the cars and all, uh-huh. if you find a car that you really don't care for that much, it's probably going to make the challenge of restoring, restoring it, it a whole right. lot harder and longer. So 
you can buy something that is already up and running, buy something that's in remarkably good condition already, uh-huh. or you can buy just something that needs a lot, a lot, a lot of work. I find it's generally less expensive to buy the best specimen going in. Sure. Particularly if it's running. If you got a car that's running, you know, you're going through a long, hard process of restoration. If you can drive the car while you're doing it, to me, that makes it a lot more interesting. You will be able to drive it up to a certain point. Right. I mean, you, you know, you start changing engines out or you start trying to do body work. If you're not doing you that body work every day, be stopped. you can do body work. And if you don't get finished with it, by the time the paint needs to be done, you may have to go back and redo it if you're driving it every day. Right. Whereas if you take this car apart, you take the fender off, you fix, you do the body work on the fender, you put the fender away, you know, you, you work the car in pieces. When mm-hmm. it's ready for paint, it's ready for paint. Right. You got to also re- remember, what is your expertise here? Can you handle body work? Right. Most people think they can. A lot of people can't. Mm-hmm. It shows up under the paint. Yeah. The paint is 10% of the, the paint job. Mm-hmm. The body work is the other 90%. Preparation. Prep. Surface finish. Correct. Yeah. And any flaw that you leave in the body will show up in the paint because the, well, the primer. It's shiny. Well, <laughs> exactly. The primer is rough. Mm-hmm. When it smooths out and that paint gets on there, it's just like looking through a piece on a Yep. Over a piece of glass. That's right. If now, there's you, something you're wrong, you're going to see every flaw in it that you never would have seen before. Sure. So, you know, your line of expertise here, how much are you going to have to spend to have this body work done or have this car painted? And right along the same lines, do you have a place to do this? Because it's going to require a garage or something where you can sure. go in, take the car out of the weather to work on it, a place where you can store the components and parts that come off. So you got to have, first off, the car that you want. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you're going to have to have a place to do it. Thirdly, you're going to probably need to have some skills. Sure. Because if you have to pay somebody else to do all, everything you want done on it, it's going to get really expensive really fast. Well, and there comes that comes back to your expertise. What are you going to have to farm out to get this project mm-hmm. finished? Because there are a few people that can do the whole car. Right. You know, some guys can paint, do body work, they can do engine work, they can That's do right. everything. Right. And then there's some guys that say, hey, I can't handle this part of it. And you can farm, and you need farm to know part that. of it out. And sure, and there's you nothing have wrong with that. reliable to farm it out, too. You need to get that going mm-hmm. before you get into this project. Yep, there you go. Hey, we got to take our third quick little break. John, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Oh. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Echo Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us calls, 291-6901. And we've got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Hello, uh, Louis. Yes. Here we go. I've got a, uh, an Infiniti G35 mm-hmm. 
2007 okay. sedan, 200,000 miles, okay. single owner, because I've owned it, mm-hmm. and the suspension in the front is worn out mm-hmm. a little bit, so there's no camber adjustment on that thing, mm-hmm. so when you dress out, if you get a toe in, it's off. That's been adjusted. My question is, should I go back in with OEM suspension components that are not adjustable or go in with an aftermarket product that can be adjusted? And either way, why? What's well, the rationale? your best bet, John, if you're going to put it back together and you want to drive it another 200,000 miles, the reason Infinity built that without an adjustment, because if you have an adjustment, then it can get out of adjustment. If you build it where it's not adjustable, there's nothing to move, and until something wears out or bends, it's not going to get out. So that is a huge advantage. If you want to go in and modify the car or not do a complete replacement of the suspension, let's say you're going to change the struts, you're going to change the bushings, but you're not going to change the springs, that's when an adjustment kit is handy because it allows you to go in and make adjustments for, say, a set of sag springs. But with every... You know, everything in engineering, you can gain one thing, you can lose something else. It does become more convenient because you can adjust for worn parts to a certain degree. The disadvantage is now it can get out and it's going to get out. So that's the two sides of it. If you want to do a total rebuild back to original factory specs, I'd go non-adjustable. If you want to do something less than that, you might go with the adjustment kit. Just get a professional, whoever you can have, service the car after you get done. I'd bounce it off of them to get a some feedback because they sell all kinds of stuff on the market some of us test it some of us not test it it all sounds great in the advertising but you don't want to get something that's going to create a problem for you excellent okay appreciate it all right thanks for the advice thanks calling man bye-bye all right we were talking again about old cars and restorations and such is that and you you have to have the expertise to do whatever it is you want to do either the expertise or the cash flow to have it done yeah yeah that's the two choices basically you have now most of these people that get into a a restoration like this they Mm -hmm. know somebody that does it or they know somebody that is kind of involved in the same type of thing that they're trying to do Mm -hmm. if you have to deal with a shop most of us have a repair shop we have our cars fixed at call them and talk to them before you make this purchase Mm -hmm. because they may not be set up to work on this car or they may have too much of a load already to work on a a classic car like this for you right because they take a lot of time they do when you start into a a rebuild or a restoration or a modification time is the enemy here yeah now one other thing you want to make sure the car that you're selecting is a car where parts are going to be available quality parts quality parts that is the key word quality parts because you can get on the internet and find just about anything you want to find right aftermarket but finding quality parts something that'll work something that's going to work and it's going to fit and it's going to look right is the challenge yeah for instance on your 67 to 69 camaro extremely popular car tons of parts available but if you go to a 70 and a half which was the next rendition Mm -hmm. of it i think it was 70 and a half to maybe 71 71 somewhere somewhere in there yeah those cars you can't hardly find parts you for them. can't find any kind of a decent part for it just because it was a very limited production it car was. and it was not a very popular car at the time at that the time. they did it. Not a lot of people restored them, so nobody tooled up. And that's one of those things you don't find out until after you get into it. Exactly. Then you can't find all the parts you need because if you can't find a quality source of parts, you're probably not going too far with it. Right. Now, that's one advantage to some of the old, old cars, like a 55 Chevrolet. You could probably find every part there is. You can. You could basically buy the whole body if you needed to. Right. They're, 
you, they've been around are, long there enough. Are company, and well, and there are companies now that are reproducing the bodies. Right. They've gone in, they've looked at it, and they said, wait a minute. They've had this problem here or this problem there, and they've actually engineered this into this aftermarket body. Mm-hmm. So that may be a place to start. That's right. Now, if you're looking at a later model car, which is has a lot of advantages. If you get into something, say, mid-90s, mm-hmm. you got the advantage there that the cars are able to deal with ethanol fuel, which sure. is just about all you can get anymore. They've got computers on them. They've got injection on them, which is a major, major advantage oh, over the old carbureted cars and all that. But the problem is, if the car is not old enough, there's probably not going to be a lot of reproduction parts out there. And the OEM is discontinuing the OEM parts. But if it's not as old... There may be some hanging around the junkyard that you can get parts off of. Well, and that brings you to the next point I wanted to make, and that is if you can pick a car that was very popular when it was new. A Chevy pickup truck is a good car to try to restore simply because they were extremely popular. There was a ton of them. A ton of them, even a Ford pickup truck. Yeah. Those are going to have a lot of stuff available there's lots of them in the salvage yards sure now if you go to a chrysler truck not that it's not, not a decent truck but it just sold a lot less of them they did they made a lot the aftermarket's looking at numbers they say right. okay well they sold 10 million chevy pickups they sold 8 million ford pickups and they sold 1 million dodge pickups what are we going to tool up for yeah which one are we going to tool up uh-huh. to make parts for so the point is if you can't get a decent source of parts it's going to be a very 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 trying you got to in some cases you can manufacture stuff yourself you can depending on your level of expertise yeah, you can build certain components when you start getting in electronics not so much right you just gonna trim be what it is trim like the interior and stuff it's gonna pretty much be what it is sure and if you can't get it then there you are right once you once you get this project home you need to sit down and evaluate where you're going with it Mm -hmm. what am i going to do to it what can i do to it and what do i have to farm out right and like everything else, just one of those deals where people want to jump right in. To right, jump in the middle of Taking it. it apart. It's like you're ready, fire, aim. And the thing is, the more time, I know it's frustrating to sit and just plan right. and do this and do that and think of all this kind of stuff that we've been talking about all day. But the more of that you do up front, the, the less, less you're going to waste going down the road. Sure. For instance, let's just say you've got a car, it runs pretty good, you like it, but the body, the paint's all faded and peeling off. Well, it might be tempting to say, well, let me go down and get this thing painted. Mm-hmm. So you go down and you invest in a really good paint job, but then you don't think, okay, this, 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 this is going to have to be done to the car later on, any one of which may damage that paint. Exactly. So you did it out of sequence. In other words, it wasn't that that didn't need to be done, it's just... You need now to do you got something else nice first. Shiny paint job on the car. Changing the motor is going to be more difficult because right. if you go to take the hood off and you scratch that paint, now you got a problem. You know, it's not like when you restore a house, you don't want to go in necessarily and float all the sheetrock and finish all the interior and paint it, and then decide, well, I got a pipe leaking in the wall, or I got I want an outlet over here. Yeah, I wish I would have had an outlet over here, and I got to bust a hole in the wall to get in there and run a wire through it. Sure. So the more time you spend planning up front, the, the less smoother less expensive this project is going to go right now that's another thing if you can find someone who has done the restoration you want to do Mm -hmm. he's been there he's gone through this a professional who knows that as a guide even if you have to pay him for their advice it's worth it it's worth it because he's built maybe 100 of these cars however many he knows the problems you're going to run across before you ever do it you're going 
on a one-off basis. If you can talk to people like that ahead of time, it's probably going to save you a whole most, lot of money and a lot of frustration. Most definitely. I'll see we're just about out of time. Get ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us, please. Hey, go sure wish you would because it moves up in ranking so more people can listen to the show. Plus, it makes you feel good about what we're doing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and that's the name of that team. Yep. We're going to talk a little bit more about we restoration are. all next week because we can get to our bottom of our list. Just listen up and you'll get a whole story full. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.